What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. In 2018, the Federal Trade Commission processed 1.4 million reports of fraud. The total losses for all of those fraud reports came to almost a billion and a half dollars, and that's for a single 12-month period. The FTC publishes statistics, and they've said that the most common types of fraud complaints were fake debt collections, imposter scams, and the traditional identity theft. And in the category of identity theft, the most common one was credit card fraud. You know, someone opening a new credit card account using the identity of a different person. One of the groups most at risk for identity theft are children. Identity theft has become the top consumer complaint in the U.S. with about 10 million victims every year. Kids under 19 years old are a big target of identity theft. 8% of the identity theft that happens in this country is impacting people under the age of 19. Why is that? Well, it's because they don't really have a lot of credit history under their belt. They're not going out and applying for credit cards. They're not going out and applying for mortgages. So to know that it's happening to your child is hard to do because until the kid is going to college, you're not really thinking about putting their name out for loans. So parents need to actually monitor the credit files of their children just as closely as they monitor their own to prevent a scammer from stealing that child's identity and clean credit. But what about when the parent is the scammer? That's what happened to Lindsay, and she told me all about it. Unfortunately, it's not an extremely rare thing, but it's just something you really don't hear much about. It's just pretty sad to think that a mother can do something like this to her own child. If you like this show and the unusual stories we hear from the people who experienced them, you can become a supporter at whatwasthatlike.com support. And now, here's Lindsay. Lindsay, thanks for coming on the show. Right. Thank you for having me. As a disclaimer, we should let people that are listening to this know we've known each other for years. Yes. But this is a story that's from your past that I never knew about. I guess I guess you don't meet someone and say, hey, guess what happened to me, right? No, definitely not. Not with something like this. But you have recently contacted me uh, and said, hey, I have a story. Maybe you want to do it on your podcast. And I think it's a pretty interesting one. I know a little bit about it, but I am looking forward to hearing you know, exactly how this whole thing worked. So let's go back a little bit. You were born in Kentucky, but really this story kind of starts when you were at age nine, when you moved to Florida. You want to talk about that? Right. My mom moved to Florida probably in about 1989 from Kentucky. 
I'm the oldest of three kids. And the story is that we moved here on a Greyhound bus with three kids, a suitcase and a box. And that's pretty much how we ended up here. Do you remember that trip? Bits and pieces. I I don't remember details. I remember being on a bus and I was really young at the time. What was your reasoning for coming to Florida? My father and mother were having issues in their relationship. And she had seen a doctor who advised her that it would be good for her anxiety and nerves if she moved. And so we came down here. What was the plan for when you got here? That I don't know. I'm sure she had a plan. Knowing what I know now, she probably had a plan. But I also suspect it was to get away from child support and any legalities of having a separated family. Did you get along with your mom pretty well then? I mean, when you were interacting with her on like on a day-to-day basis, were you scared of her or you were dependent on her or how, how did you? At that age, I don't remember. I remember more of the teenage years being the oldest and us living with just her. I had to take a lot of the responsibility. She traveled a lot for work. So I was really the adult. So my childhood, I equate with a mini adulthood. So it was your mom and you and your two siblings. Correct. I have a sister who is two years younger than me and then a brother who is four years younger than me. When she would travel, you guys were just home by yourself for a long time? We stayed with babysitters. She would find people out of the newspaper. This was back in the early 90s, so we didn't have internet type of things. But she'd run an ad in the newspaper. One time, we did have a homeless woman who was a babysitter. I'm not sure how she picked that one out, but I recall taking her back to the homeless shelter after my mom got back. That's... uh... I can't imagine doing that. It, it's it's a fun. It, it, looking back, it's a funny story, and you can see how everything shapes you. But now you can see why I don't open with "Hi, my name is Lindsay, and I had a homeless babysitter." <laughs> <laughs> it's a great conversation starter, though. It's an icebreaker. <laughs> Definitely. Huh. As you went through your teen years, part of what intrigued me a little bit was the fact that you and your mom during that time shared a bank account. Can you talk about that and why that was why that was in place? My mom and I did share a bank account from a very early age, from as long as I was old enough to have a bank account. Because she traveled, she worried about us having access to money. So in an effort that if anything happened to her, we would automatically have access to funds, she and I shared a bank account. That makes sense. I didn't understand the reasoning behind it before, but now that that does kind of make sense. because It was supposed to help me out, mm-hmm. being the oldest. 
And you were the only one that was named on the account aside from her? Correct. Okay. You were, you got through your teen years, but then I want you to kind of just take us through the story of what happened when you discovered something wasn't quite right. I had just moved to Clearwater, Florida. I was living with her after college, just as a waypoint, uh, some way to, you know, a way station, finding a job and, and all of that good stuff after college. I opened up a business and I went to get a banking account and the business name and the bank wouldn't let me. And they said I had bad credit or outstanding debts. I don't recall. I, I think I had one store credit card. And I only applied for it because you got the free stuffed animal. But the way that we set up when I was at school, in an, in an effort for her to help me, she would take my, my payroll funds and, and deposit my checks. She was supposed to be paying all of my school expenses through the checking account so that I could concentrate on school. I didn't look at my checking account a lot because I suppose I depended on her for that. And so when I went to get the second bank account in the business name and I wasn't allowed, then I started digging through drawers and looking through files. And I found an entire filing cabinet of unopened bills and letters and things in my name. And that's how it all started. It was an entire filing cabinet of unopened bills. And the total, when everything was said and done, I had $31,000 in, in debt in my name. Did you think it was a mistake or what, what were your thoughts at that point? No, I knew it wasn't a mistake. My mom is very manipulative and there were weird things growing up. There was always a story and always a scam with her. So I knew it wasn't made up. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com/what 
or enter code WHAT before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code WHAT or going to cookunity.com slash WHAT. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut. With Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic, go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. And I was angry and I wanted to prosecute because $31,000 is a lot of money to have to pay back. I had plans for school, and that money just was not in the cards. So the cops at that time didn't want to prosecute and and couldn't go after her because we shared the bank account. I was liable. Some of the credit cards, for example, she had, it's called The Avenue. It's a plus-size woman's store. And... At the time, I was very not plus size. She opened up and paid for a credit card in my name at that store. And when I called that company to report the fraud, they were not concerned because the account had been paid for. We have to remember, too, that this was this happened back before identity theft was really a commonly known thing. A lot of people may not even have been aware of what it was. It really wasn't a thing. They didn't know what to do with it. People couldn't understand why we shared a bank account and how I, I couldn't have known what was going on and and all of the different credit cards in my name. At one point in the mail, you used to receive checks that you could sign over to yourself and you wind up with a loan. And she had signed a couple of those in my name and gotten loans. And they would not send me the paperwork because she had access to my social security number, my address, all of that info that we take for granted. They assumed that I was complicit. Did you confront your mom about this? What did she say? I did confront her, but after I moved out. I, while she was out of town, I moved out secretly because I didn't want her to be able to control and find me and and weasel her way in. And 
when I asked her about all of the debt, she said she was trying to help me. But that that doesn't really make sense, though. No, but in her head, I'm sure it does. And it's also a manipulation tactic, trying to make you feel sorry for her, trying to make you doubt yourself. You had had mentioned that before you guys came to Florida that she had run other types of scams. Do you remember anything like that or what, what she had done? Well, she told my father that we were moving down here on the advice of her doctor. And that really wasn't the case. And throughout that whole time, she was telling us that our father didn't care about us, that he wasn't paying child support. Uh, he was just a deadbeat dad that he was either a ne'er-do-well or didn't want anything to do with us. Uh, but because of the identity theft, I opened up that mode of communication again and we started talking and he told me his side of the story and some of the stuff that she did up there before we moved. She had some sort of restaurant equipment scam going where she was going to replace restaurant equipment but she would take the money but wouldn't replace the equipment but she always kept her mark on the line it was always a reason something was happening outside of her control that was causing the work not to get done that's an interesting category would did she own a restaurant I don't think so. I, I think she was a salesperson for maybe a, a restaurant supplier, that sort of thing. What's funny too is uh, growing up, she'd take us in for doctor's appointments. And when we would get there, we would not even be patients there. And she would always complain that it was something to do with the doctor's office or my father's insurance. She usually blamed it on my father's insurance and that he must have canceled the appointment. But what's the incentive of going to the doctor if you know you're not going to be seen? What was the scam there? Uh, you got me. She's She sounds like an interesting character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To say the least. She's very charismatic and people fall for her stories. I'm very convinced that one year at Christmas, we were one of the the angels on the tree, so to speak. Are you familiar with those? No, no. Tell me how that works. Different charity organizations and whatnot will set up a Christmas tree and they have little tags on them. And the tag is of a family or a child that needs a Christmas. They can't afford a Christmas. And so one of your parishioners will come and pick an angel off the tree and then buy those gifts. One year we had Christmas where it was a lot larger Christmas than normal. And there were people came over and they wanted to take pictures of us getting our gifts. And I couldn't understand why at the time. Because they weren't really friends. They were just neighbors. And it, it was just weird. But looking back on it, and I've 
at this age, I've taken angels off the tree and suddenly it dawned on me. That is probably what she did. She gave somebody a sob story about the single parent and the derelict dad and somebody else supplied our Christmas. Do you sometimes have like light bulbs that go off like that and you recall something that happened and then it all kind of makes sense? That's a lot of how it happens. And you grow up knowing that you are different. We moved often and anything in our life, there was a huge story that went along with it. Nothing was ever cut and dry and it always involved my mother. So, you know, but it's what you're used to. So you can't put everything together. It doesn't make sense until later on. So you came up with a solution and it involved changing your name. Can you tell us how that worked or what happened? You go online, you fill out the court paperwork, and then you go and speak to a judge. And you tell them why you want to change your name. And and a couple weeks later, you get a certified letter saying whether or not they approved. How would having a new name resolve the issue of all the debt? Well, since everything was in my name and she knew my name, I figured that if I changed my name to something completely different, then there would be no mistaking that it wasn't me who started those accounts. So I literally picked a name from the phone book that sounded good together. And I went with that. So if she did happen to pull any more accounts, it would be easy to prosecute. There'd be no question. Did that work? She hasn't tried, but I've also been gone and she's smart and sneaky. So I I think that's probably why it hasn't happened. So that was your plan was to just change your name, hoping that she opens another account in your old name, which proves that she did it. Correct. But she hasn't done it. So you... You were still stuck with the debt then? I was stuck with the debt, and there was only one solution. I couldn't pay it back. I couldn't move forward. I had to do Chapter 7 bankruptcy. I liquidated everything. I had $300 to my name and started over. I had a studio apartment with no couch. I had a laptop (laughs) and and a bed. Well, if you're going to start from scratch, you might as well do it with a new name too, right? I can only move up from there. That was going to be one of my questions. How did you choose your new name? Which we should say your, your, your legal first name is? Is Kelly. Which is kind of weird for me to even think about that because I've never, I've always only known you as Lindsay. And most people do only know me as Lindsay. It feels impersonal and separate for me to refer to myself as as Kelly. The only people who call me Kelly are people that I owe money to. 
when you changed your name legally, did it just feel weird knowing that now you have a different name? It did. And mostly what I felt bad for is it hurt my father the most. For me, Kelly is on paper and and pretty separate. She's just, she's a thing. She's a figment. But my name was important to my father. And for him to have to write out checks, like birthday checks and whatnot, or having to put on an envelope, Kelly, it was just a reminder of what happened because he never thought that my mom would turn on us the way that she did. Do you talk to her now? I don't. She's not the type of person that I want in my life. And after I found out about the deceit and that everything she said about my dad was a lie, there's just no coming back from that. So you and your, you and your dad have a pretty good relationship then. We do now. We've talked and we've regrown as adults. So we, we have a good relationship. So you're in Florida. Is your mom local here still? She's in Florida. And your dad's still up in Kentucky? Correct. What about your siblings? Uh, My sister is up in Kentucky. My brother is here in Florida. And we talk a lot. My my brother felt kind of weird at first having to hide hide my name. But at this point, it's a moot point. It's just... It's there. There's the undercurrent, but the emotional baggage of it is is pretty gone. Yeah, I can imagine the the financial hardship of it, of the whole ordeal. But then having to, I mean, if you tell the story to people that know you, just explaining that your mom did this to you, what what is that like? I honestly I tried to avoid it. It Using Kelly and Lindsay interchangeably has become almost second nature for me. But I avoid having the conversation with friends because it's a lot like a soap opera. It's a lot of baggage. And my life is complete and calm and and ordered. And this that doesn't define me. And I don't want it to mar people's perceptions of my life and what I've got going on. Are there any lingering effects or ongoing effects that you still have to deal with from this? The bankruptcy finally fell off probably seven to 10 years after I did it. And Kelly is 17 now. She can drive. So, I I mean, she's getting her (laughs) license now. That's good. (laughs) well obviously when you change your name you don't start from age zero also right wouldn't that be nice oh i don't i wish but if you don't keep a make jokes about it then it just becomes too too heavy the biggest place that it's interfered is i had plans of pursuing my education and going into a different career field. And because 
I was not able to secure the loans or had that foundation of a family to take care of my basic needs. You don't have a safety net to fall out on. So I couldn't take risks. I couldn't pursue farther. In grad school, you have to go to school full time. There, You can't do a part-time job. And if you do a part-time job, it's minimum wage, which wouldn't pay for my housing. So it, it's that big circle. You can't afford to fall. So as your mom is filling out a, a, a credit card application with your name, it seems like a little thing at the time, but that, that really kind of changed the trajectory of your life and your career. It really did. And maybe not all parents are as manipulative as her and have nefarious goals in mind. But if you're looking for good, clean credit and you open up a utility bill or utilities in your kid's name, just just don't fucking do it. (laughs) Just, Just don't. Nothing good comes from that. Do you take any extra precautions now because of your awareness of identity theft? No. Identity theft has become a lot more common, a lot easier to deal with. So I really, I don't care. I've I've already gone down that road one time. So if it happened again, it would be really easy to deal with. I just call the credit card company and they pretty much handle it. It's it's almost laughable how how different it is. And if I were to report the same crimes today, it, the punishment would be so different. So many people are aware of it and the prosecutors are aware of it. The climate is just completely different. And I think creditors are probably more sympathetic when they hear, well, maybe not. I don't know. Creditors are the way they are. But when they hear someone say, yeah, I, this isn't my, I mean, they have to prove that you applied for the loan or applied for the credit card. I, I guess they, they would have had to prove it back then too. I mean, it's from a legal contractual standpoint, I don't know why they could insist on holding you accountable when they wouldn't have had your signature on anything. She actually had power in my name and the, well, she had your social security number and they, she had the info. She did it over the phone. That, that was the power company. The credit card that I remember, uh, the Avenue, the, the overweight store, and they weren't concerned because they were paid. It was one of the few she paid on time. Yeah, why, why should they care? Yeah. Yeah, no crime was done, but there was a crime. And you've told your kids this whole story. This is the first time that I've sat down and, and spoken question and answer about it. If they listen to podcasts, they're going to know the whole thing now. They will, actually. I planned on saying that if you want to know the whole story, here you go. Aside from your kids finding out about it, what made you want to tell this story? It needs to be said. It, it helps it get off my chest. Uh, I'd like some closure, but I don't 
think that there is going to be any, there's been real tangible problems that this has caused. And on one side, I think my mom should know and maybe she'll listen. But on the other hand, it's not worth listening to her excuses and manipulation. So I don't know. I actually did it on a whim because I know you. Well, it's a, it is an interesting story. I mean, it's obviously a sad thing that happened. You think, you know, when you think of parents and children, they're supposed to take care of you and protect you from this kind of thing. And uh, when it turns out that it's your parent that's actually doing it, that's, that's quite a different story. But it, it's my story and it, it's something that happened to me, not something that I was a part of. And that's the distinction that I like to make with myself, that I, I'm, I wasn't complicit in this. It, it's, I was a passenger in that ride. I wasn't driving. I'd say you were more of a victim than a passenger. True. Lindsay, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you telling the story and hopefully maybe somebody will hear this and maybe see the signs of someone doing this to them and maybe you prevent this from happening to, to someone else. But thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And if nothing else, it, it's a cool story. Hey, before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to do a couple of things. First, I want to invite you to join our private Facebook group if you haven't already. Great discussions over there, and some of the guests I've had on some of these episodes are in that group, so you can talk about their story and ask questions if you want. So get over there and join us at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. And second, I thought it would be kind of cool to read some of the recent reviews that have come in. Now, you might have heard me mention previously that I never ask for reviews in iTunes or Apple Podcasts because they really don't serve any purpose. In spite of what you hear some other podcasters say on their shows, having a ton of five-star reviews does not help a podcast get found more easily, at least not on iTunes. Now, if you really want to leave me a review, I'd say do it on Podchaser. That's podchaser.com. That makes a little more of a difference there. Anyway, there have been a few recent reviews on iTunes. And you know, some people have interesting iTunes usernames. Like this first one, the username is called This App is a Joke. I don't know what that means. But anyway, the title is So Hooked. And this is what they wrote. So excited to have come across this podcast. I just started listening this morning and I'm already loving it. I have to be honest, I was a little disappointed when I initially saw the title and description of the most recent episode, which was about the movie trailer proposal, because I'm a total true crime junkie, so I find suspenseful, shock-worthy content far more appealing than a feel-good marriage proposal, lol, but I'm so glad I continued scrolling to find that the majority of episodes within this podcast are definitely suspenseful and highly intriguing. Then we had another interesting username, Mickles and Dimes. I'm not sure, maybe Meekles and Dimes, probably Mickles and Dimes. Subject of this one is Awesome Podcast. The WWTL podcast is great. The stories and guests are very interesting. Sometimes they make me cry, laugh, or leave me in shock. Scott asks the right questions and doesn't rush the interview. The production quality is also good, too. 
Sound quality is high on both Scott's and the guest's end, and intro and outro aren't too long or obnoxious. Hope this outro isn't too obnoxious. Overall, I'm glad I found this podcast. It will become a regular listen for me. And then finally, we have Sandy CPA, titled Great Podcast, and very short. Wow, what a great podcast. Thank you, PWLT, for turning me on to it. The host and stories are terrific. And you might recall PWLT is Podcast We Listen To, and that's a podcast, also a Facebook group, and I was on that podcast talking about this one not too long ago. So if you want to leave a review on podchaser.com, go ahead and then let me know, and I'll read it here on the show. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention this. I'll be at PodFest Multimedia Expo in Orlando, March 6th through 8th, coming up real soon. And actually, I'm one of the speakers there this year. And PodFest is a really awesome podcasting conference that I attend every year. There's going to be close to 2,000 people there. Most of them are people who have podcasts, and some people there are thinking and planning to have a podcast. So it's a great time, and I always meet a lot of new people. So if by chance you're going to be there, be sure to find me and say hi. I'd love to meet you. And I'll see you back here in two weeks.